Welcome back to Corey M, the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue Emergency Medicine Residency Program. I'm Breed C, and I'd like to introduce my colleague and close friend, Dr. Masashi Roti. Dr. Roti is a fellow faculty member in the Department of Emergency Medicine at NYU and Bellevue, as well as the Associate Emergency Medicine UME Director at NYU School of Medicine. He also happens to be fellowship trained in both ultrasound and global health. Hi, Bree. Thanks for having me. What are we talking about today? Well, one of our favorite chief complaints on shift for attendings is the call from triage for an L&D clearance. You just walk on over, get the vitals of the usually healthy mother, make sure there's no bleeding or crowning, then send them on their merry way to L&D with a congratulations. I agree. They're a nice little break in the patient lineup and usually pretty straightforward. However, occasionally we get L&D clearances that aren't so simple. For sure. Every once in a while, an L&D clearance ends up being a precipitous delivery. I had a precipitous delivery just last week. The mother was multi-paris and at term. The fetus had a nuchal cord that fortunately was easily reduced, and the delivery was relatively straightforward after that. Bree, I thought you told me you helped manage a precipitous delivery recently as well? Yeah, we just had a healthy first-time mother with an uncomplicated pregnancy come in at 34 weeks with sudden-onset atraumatic vaginal bleeding. She was hypotensive, tachycardic, and the fetal heart rate on bedside ultrasound was in the 30s. Luckily, we were able to stabilize her in the ED and whisk her up to the OR for a stat C-section for what was most likely a placental abruption. Wow, that sounds way more complicated than my case. But deliveries that are more complicated can be scary because they can have devastating consequences for the mother and fetus. And secondly, we don't see them too often in the ED, so we aren't experienced in managing them. Exactly. Precipitous deliveries fall into that category of low-frequency, high-risk presentations in EM, like transvenous pacemakers, thoracotomies, etc. So it's definitely super important to review them every so often so we can manage them confidently and efficiently when they do show up. Swami and Jenny Beck Esme did some awesome Corium podcasts four years ago on emergency management of shoulder dystocia, and we have a 2017 episode on cord prolapse, shoulder dystocia, and nuchal cord. In addition, former EM resident Allie Boyd wrote a great Corium content on perimortem C-section from 2015. So today, I thought we could cover one other non-hemorrhagic complication of precipitous delivery in the ED, breach delivery. Breach delivery. So that's when the fetus presents with the feet or buttocks instead of head first? Yeah, exactly. Breach presentations occur in up to 4% of live births at term, but breach presentations are more prevalent earlier in the gestation, meaning less than 28 weeks, when there's more space for the fetus to rotate. They often spontaneously turn back around to the correct vertex position with their head down before it's time to deliver. Ideally, expectant mothers are having frequent OB checks where the position of the baby is being monitored so that expectant management can be planned. For example, some obstetricians will attempt an outpatient maneuver called the external cephalic version at 37 weeks to reposition the baby or recommend an elective C-section. So why are precipitous breach deliveries so dangerous, Masashi? Well, the normal vertex position allows the baby's head, which is relatively large compared to the body, to dilate the cervix during labor. With the head coming out first, it clears space for the baby's body and umbilical cord. With the breech, the buttocks or limbs do not allow for the same cervical dilation, so there's less room in the canal, which can lead to cord prolapse and compression resulting in acidosis or asphyxia from entrapment of the head. Furthermore, frantic and improper delivery attempts can lead to fetal head and neck trauma as well as brachial plexus injuries from traction. 
That's why a planned C-section is usually the preferred method of delivery, but in the case of an imminent delivery in the ED, that's usually not an option. Gotcha. Yeah, they sound pretty scary. Patients at high risk for precipitous delivery include immigrants and other patients who may have poor access to care, and patients who are either unaware or in denial of pregnancy. Unfortunately, that sounds like a lot of patients that we see in the ED. Exactly. Other risk factors include previous breech presentations, twins, abnormal amounts of amniotic fluid, large fibroids, lax uterine muscles, and preterm delivery. Okay, those are all good things to keep in mind. So, Masashi, I can never really remember the three different types of breech deliveries. Can we go over them? Absolutely. The most common type is called a frank breech. I remember it as butt first, feet on the face, and you can see our show notes for a graphic. Basically, both the hips are flexed with extended knees and the feet are near the baby's head. They make up 60 to 65% of all breech presentations, but have the lowest incidence of cord prolapse at a half percent. Okay, so Frank is butt first, feet on face. Got it. The second type is called a complete breech. I think of a complete breech as the baby giving himself a hug. Both hips and knees are flexed, and honestly, it looks pretty cute. Pretty cute, but scary. Complete breech deliveries make up only 5% of all breech presentations, but carry a 5% incidence of cord prolapse. And the last type is called an incomplete breech, or a footling. This is easier to remember because often one or both feet present first, hence the term footling. Footling breeches make up 25 to 35% of all breech presentations, and there's a 15 to 18% incidence of cord prolapse. Okay, so in order of lowest to highest incidence of cord prolapse, it goes frank, complete, then incomplete or footling. Frank and complete deliveries may actually occur in a relatively uncomplicated fashion because the presenting part can serve as a dilating wedge. Exactly. So now let's talk about management of precipitous breech deliveries. To be honest, I've never actually delivered a breech fetus. I don't think I even saw one during my OB rotation as an EM resident. But I do remember doing some simulated breech deliveries during conference days. So this would be a great chance to review. Well, in terms of a workup, not a whole lot to say here. Based on the patient's exam and description of what's going on, it should be pretty obvious. Hopefully, the patient is able to tell you that they're pregnant. However, if the patient cannot communicate due to language barriers, altered mental status, cognitive issues, or any other obstacle, make sure to consider pregnancy in any related differential in all females. Once, I had a homeless patient who said she had abdominal pain, but never mentioned that she was eight months pregnant. She hadn't received any OBGYN care at all and was very vague about her symptoms. She was wearing baggy clothes so you couldn't tell right off the bat that she was pregnant, and it was only when she got up onto the bed that I noticed a fetal head hang between her legs. Yikes. I prefer not to start off my patient encounters by finding a second patient coming out of the first one. The thing to remember is that the first steps for emergency breach delivery are similar to all precipitous delivery steps in the ED. Immediately call for ED backup as well as your OBGYN and neonatal colleagues. You'll want to prep the infant warmer and neonatal airway kit, bag valve mask, and your delivery kit and supplies. Obviously, IV O2 monitor for the mother and PPE for all your staff. If you have time and resources, someone can slap the ultrasound on the abdomen to see the baby's position and fetal heart rate. Great tip. And remember that you'll probably be dealing with two patients and not just one. Exactly. In an ideal situation, the fetus has not emerged from, from the vagina and then we can attempt to delay the delivery until the patient can be transferred to LND or OB arrives in the ED. If this is the case, make sure to tell the mother not to push. Yeah, I mean, I think back in the day, episiotomy was considered, but nowadays it's fallen out of favor. 
Okay, so if any part of the fetus has emerged from the vagina and appears to be progressing, and it doesn't look like OB will actually be available anytime soon, get ready. Place the patient in dorsal lithotomy. The first move to attempt is actually just try to let the delivery happen spontaneously so that the presenting portion of the fetus can maximally dilate the cervical opening and vaginal canal. If the fetus is actually able to deliver spontaneously in this manner, you should wait until the baby's navel appears, then place your fingers medial to each thigh. Finally, press out laterally to deliver the legs. Once the baby's umbilicus is out and you've delivered the legs, you should rotate the baby to the sacral anterior position, meaning the baby's back is towards the ceiling, and then wrap the baby's trunk and lower half in a towel. Right. You don't want to apply any forceful traction or squeeze the baby's abdominal organs because you can cause injury easily. Besides using the wrapped towel, you can support the baby's legs in one hand and bony pelvis in the other hand after the umbilicus appears. By the way, don't forget to evaluate for prolapse cord, like what Masashi had a couple weeks ago. If the cord was between the legs, reduce it around the foot or feet. And if the cord is around the neck, simply reduce it over the baby's head. Makes sense. Okay, at this point, you can ask the mother to bear down strongly until the scapulae are visible. At this point, rotate the baby 90 degrees to the left so you can see the anterior or right arm. Hopefully, you can use just one finger to deliver the arm. Gently turn the baby 180 degrees clockwise and do the same for the other arm. Okay, but what if that doesn't work and the baby is stuck from the shoulders up? If the shoulders do not deliver spontaneously, apply gentle upward traction on the fetal body using your other hand to apply leverage and deliver the posterior arm then apply downward traction on the fetal body to deliver the anterior arm. And hopefully that works. So now with the shoulders and arms delivered, we just yank down on the baby's head and it'll pop right out, eh? Uh, no. You definitely don't want to pull down on the baby because you could impact the baby's head and the pelvis. Once the baby's chin is at the pelvic inlet, you should perform the infam infamous Marisot maneuver to deliver the head. Right, right. So... For the Morisot, you place one arm under the fetus with your middle fingers on the fetal maxilla, and the fetal legs are straddling your forearm. Use your other hand to apply occipital pressure to promote head flexion and descent as you pull the fetal body out slightly elevated. Look at our show notes for a graphic. Holding the baby in this position should allow the mother to expel the fetus. It might help to flex the mother's hips and knees or her thighs against her abdomen, the McRoberts position. And some may consider giving terbutaline, 0.25 milligrams sub-Q or 2.5 to 10 micrograms per minute IV, or nitroglycerin, 50 to 200 micrograms IV, to relax the uterus if the fetal head is trapped. Okay, so that covers frank and complete breech presentations. What about footling slash incomplete presentations? These are a whole lot trickier because of the higher possibility of cord prolapse. Again, we want to emphasize if at all possible, the the patient should be taken to L&D or OB should be down ASAP in their ED for breach presentations. Okay, that definitely makes sense. But for these footling breaches, if you really can't get the patient to OB or OB can't come down right away, you may consider the Pinard maneuver, where your hand is placed behind the fetal thigh of the leg that is bent up in the vaginal canal. With gentle pressure at the knee, you can deliver the leg. Then, if the other leg needs delivery, use the same move. Once both feet are out, Grasp both lateral malleoli between your thumb and third finger and wedge your second finger between the two ankles, all with one hand. Don't pull, but allow the mother to push so the breech delivers to the level of the umbilicus. Then move on to the steps we talked about before at the umbilicus point. Wrap the trunk and lower half with a towel and grasp the bony pelvis. Then allow the mother to push until the baby is delivered to the level of the clavicles. 
Next, rotate the baby 90 degrees to the left so you can see the anterior or right arm. And try and just use one finger to deliver this arm. Gently turn the baby 180 degrees clockwise and do the same for the other arm. Then, boom, the Mary Sew <laughs> maneuver to deliver the head. Woo, that was a whole lot of steps. I think the best thing to do to be prepared is to sim it out and be able to visualize the steps sequentially. Yes, definitely. And hope your next L&D clearances remain the simple, straightforward ones. So, should we go over some take-home points? Sure. Assembling your team and equipment as quickly and efficiently as possible is key. Remember, there will be two patients, mother and baby. You can think of the steps to deliver as legs to umbilicus, to scapulae, to shoulders, then arms, and finally the head. Do not place traction or squeeze the fetus excessively during delivery. Traction can cause head extension and squeezing can injure ab abdominal organs. Also, don't hold the fetal trunk above horizontal during delivery because you can really injure the C-spine with traction. Avoid hyperextending the neck. This can cause spinal cord injury or dystocia. Do not attempt the Marisol maneuver until the fetal chin is at the pelvic inlet. Attempting the maneuver too soon can induce the moral reflex. And definitely do not apply traction to the jar mouth during the Morisot maneuver because it can cause TMJ injury. Those are some pro tips, Masashi. Nice. Thanks. And let's hope you don't show up in the ED as an L&D since you're 38 weeks pregnant today. Congrats, Bree. Thank you. But if you do, at least we've gone over the precipitous breach delivery. Uh, yeah, let's definitely not do that. So that's all for this episode. Continue to follow us on Twitter at core underscore EM and visit Brian Goberti, myself, and our team on our website, coreem.net. Until the next one, this is Bree and Masashi.